Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this edition, how the groups of death unraveled in the Champions League and where to now for the survivors. Also, to be or not to be a football fairy tale in fair Girona, where we lay our scene, and the suspension of the Turkish Prem, the Super League. How did football in Turkey get this incendiary? We have been talking about the group of death in the Champions League, but we ended up concluding that there were two groups of death, and so it proved. Andy, um... (laughs) Unraveling this now that they're done uh, and we know who's made it through and who hasn't, which was the more profound group of death? Group A, uh, featuring the likes of Copenhagen, Bayern Munich, Galatasaray and Manchester United or Group F with PSG, Dortmund, and Newcastle and so on? Well, I think to an extent, A unfolded not in exactly the way we would have imagined it, but I think if you'd have said before that Bayern beating everyone is going to polarise the rest, that maybe wouldn't have been much of a surprise. I think in the Dortmund-PSG-Milan-Newcastle group, the interesting thing about that is it probably shook, shook out in order, not a million miles from what people would have expected. Although there would have been some out there who would have expect, perhaps expected um, Milan to, to, to qualify. But having said that, the way in which it ended up at that point was perhaps more of a surprise. And I guess with both of these groups, there were more surprises along the way than you, you would have expected. I, I don't know what you think, Lars, but because this represented the end of the Champions League group stage as we know it, I wonder if we'll mm. be doing some sort of OTC look looks back pod on this in five yeah. years' time about, oh, wasn't that a great last hurrah? It did occur to me that almost more should have been made of that uh, these last two nights, that it's the last time we're having this format. We should all have the lighters in the air in the studios <laughs> and just go, like, eh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to miss this. I'm Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the new format. I mean, that, that maybe I mean, is derailing the conversation too much, but it just seems to me that we're doing more games to get rid of fewer teams, basically. And it's just mm, like a complete yeah. waste of time. But uh, no, I'm going to miss the format a lot. Um, and I think the reason this format ended up being disliked a little bit, that we ended up having too many um, predictable groups, is a symptom of a, a big problem in European football, which is a sort of increasing financial gap between the wealthier clubs and the wealthier nations and the slightly less wealthy ones. And there's, um, I, 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 Maybe the new system will, will cure that, I'm not convinced. But I, I, I thought it was very, very exciting these last couple of days, even if there was just two groups where we had like massive jeopardy. Although Group F 
PSG, if we use that theory, they're the wealthiest of the teams in Group F. Mm. They should have been runaway winners, but they made it hard work for themselves, didn't they, ultimately? Yeah, but PSG do that, though, don't they? God bless them. I mean, their, 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 their dedication to underperforming their finances is admirable. They, they continue to be the exception. And, uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously... I'm I'm a bit sad since I'm in the studio today. I was kind of hoping they would go out so we could have our annual sort of let's laugh at PSG session, which I'm a, it's always very important for me to be on those. You podcasts. never invite me to those. I, I absolutely love that, uh, but no, they they did manage to. I mean, what what a fairy tale story it is. They managed to sneak out of their group uh, just about. But I think the interesting thing here is that the fact that you're right, Lars. It is like a a um, repeating conversation of their incredible self-sabotage but it's not 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 normally self-sabotage at this point i think if you look back over the qsi era they've always got out of the groups and for them to be in the situation where this could happen in a group where and i was there with jonathan johnson on opening night where they played dortmund off the park and at the time you thought this could never happen I mean, it wouldn't have mm. even entered your head, actually. You wouldn't have thought that at all. So for them to get to this point, and the thing that really struck me in this game against Dortmund on match day six, the return game, that, you know, they got a draw out of, but... Um, they struggled they, yeah. to get that draw. Well, at, at one point, early in the second half, they were going out. And, you know, they were going mm-hmm. out from the first half when, when, when Newcastle scored. And that result wouldn't have been enough had, had Newcastle won, won the game. The thing that struck me is not, not that they played poorly or anything like that. I thought they were pretty good, actually. Um, they created the chances to win the game. Um, they missed a lot of chances. Um, it was much better than their previous two away performances in uh, Newcastle and, and Milan, in which they're really poor in both of those, I, I thought. But if, if you're going to manage a game, you need to have a coherent strategy. And I'm not really convinced there there was that. Now, of course, they're kind of starting again with younger players, with this Frenchification of the squad, and with the Luis Enrique aspect. But like, if I put it like that, it feels like there's quite a lot going on, doesn't it? It feels like there's quite a lot of different stuff going on. Whereas, like, if you look at like like say for example, I, I think you take a couple of touchstones. The best chance of the match in the the first half is the one where. Kylian Mbappe goes around the goalkeeper and it's an amazing clearance off the line by Nicolas Sula. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. But Luis Enrique is on the touchline having a go at Lucas Hernandez for playing it long. And then mm-hmm. you get to the end of the game where Kylian Mbappe's still making these runs as the team are thinking, right, okay, well, Newcastle ain't going to win. So let's just play it about. Let's not concede a dumb goal in the 85th minute that's going to put mm, us in trouble. Mm. And, you know, if, if they'd have lost and Milan had won, then, you know, obviously that Milan would have gone through and, and, and PSG would have gone out. So what they were doing is a sensible thing. And Mbappe's waving his arms going, why are you not playing me in? And he's like, yeah. well, get, come on, show a yeah. bit of common sense. You're meant to be a football brain here. And at, at this point, them playing it about so they keep the draw is the sensible thing to do. But we thought that once they're past Neymar and once they're past Messi, then there would be this unified approach. But there's still like a little bit of dislocation in how they're approaching the games. Yeah, no, you're right. There seems to be some dissonance there still. But I think we're going to be, I was a little bit flippant earlier. If we're going to be, going to be serious about PSG for a moment, I think there's a slight, I don't know if it is a paradox, but it's weird that they've almost stumbled out of the group stage now. They almost went out, which is, and is correct. They usually haven't done. They've usually failed slightly further down the line. Um, but they're doing what they're doing strategically. I maintain is a step in the right direction. I think this pivot away from superstars and towards a younger French sort of uh, the French, a younger French core, I guess you can call it, and uh, slightly fewer big names and more sort of up and coming youngsters. I honestly believe that is a healthier direction for that club to go in. Because again, if you're going to be the main football club. In France, in France and its suburbs, is like the biggest talent-producing hotbed on the planet. So you'd be completely deranged not to make that a huge part of your strategy. They have, they haven't so far. But you can, and of course, it's interesting in that context that it's the goal from Warren Zaire Emery that kind of saves them. Uh, you know, he was a seventeen-year-old who's had to, he's had to. Well, he's certainly taken on a lot more responsibility than anyone could have expected of him, and more than he would have gotten in any other season at PSG. So there is a change there in emphasis at the club, which I think is healthy, and I think 
will stand them in good stead and I believe I believe they can be a less ridiculous football club in the years to come but of course building something like that takes a little bit of time like there is with the sort of uh, the sort of Harlem, French Harlem Globetrotters thing they were doing the upside is that you have some unbelievable individuals who can just kind of turn turn a game in an instant and they do have fewer of those individuals now but but I would maintain as much as it pains me to say that they are on, they are on the path towards becoming a less ridiculous football club. I, I, I believe that. In that case, is Luis Enrique the right manager at this point to shape that particularly French identity that we talked about that Paris Saint-Germain has studiously avoided? I actually think he is a good guy for that because he's very strong-willed, Luis Enrique. He's someone who really doesn't suffer fools or other people. And I mean, he, he knows his own mind. He knows what he wants. Uh, I, I still sort of chuckle at sometimes at as a Spain manager, he once sort of made a big point in a press conference about not caring what any of the journalists say because I never read what any of you write anyway. <laughs> sort of he yeah, is a very right. yeah right is what I would say yeah, yeah right. No, but he is one of those guys who, you know, trying to change the culture at PSG is not an easy thing to do. But he he always comes across as a guy who maybe have has the will to do that if he gets the backing from upstairs as well. I think it was interesting that though when Lars was talking about mistakes from the past being repeated, um, I think it is worth accepting that they're in some sort of transitional phase, though, particularly in in Europe. And like I said before, I don't think how they get on in this season's Champions League will define Mbappe's future. You know, he'll make his decision on, on, on different criteria. But when we were talking with Jonathan Johnson, Dotton, last week about um, the, the Donnarumma thing and how that's an issue, I mean, how well, he I... did well this time. No, but <laughs> he no, no, well no, but to he, our criticism. no, but the, the <laughs> thing is, he's still not. I don't think he did. He he, he made oh. some good saves, but we always knew he could do that. We know he's that kind of goalkeeper. We know he's like the De Gea end of the market. But how did they concede the goal again? Playing it out from the back. I mean, it's 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 difficult because if you're a Luis Enrique team, can you say put that on hold until we get a keeper who can actually play with his feet? But the degree of uncertainty it creates. And to concede a goal like that to a team like Dortmund, and Dortmund are not a pressing team, but you know, for them to be bad enough playing the ball out from the back that Dortmund think, oh, hang on, maybe we move up 10 yards here, maybe we move up 15 yards here, because we can get something out of it. And that's exactly how the Adeyemi goal, which could have been so costly to them, is is created. Did Dortmund then perform above their level, coming top of the, the group? As it were, I mean, is it was it a case of PSG performing under so that Dortmund could take the group, or did they do something that you weren't expecting? A bit of both, I think. Um, I, I mean, I do wonder if how they've performed in this is 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 a bit of an indication of of where Dortmund are at. Like they're, they're not in a position to win the Bundesliga, but under Terzic, they've always looked like a decent cup team. And they look like a decent cup team Mm -hmm. again, I think. And part of being a decent cup team is riding your luck. And I think they did that at various points. Um, You look at the chances that Milan missed in in both games against them. Um, You look at the fact that Gregor Kobel, as, as, as David Cartledge pointed out a couple of weeks, is consistently outstanding for them. And you look at the fact that PSG missed a load of chances last night so look that they, they've they've got the forward quality to make the most of moments whether that makes you consistent enough for a league campaign i think is a is a different question there's still lots of lots of quality there um and i think that's almost the most frustrating thing about dortmund that you feel they're underperforming commensurate with the quality they've got now part of that is like inconsistent squad construction and recruitment and and that that sort of stuff but i think you look at the players they had on the bench last night, obviously they had a deeper bench than PSG, but they had a pretty good bench as well. You know, there were there were definitely options there. But you kind of look at that bench and think, okay, if Schlotterbeck and if Allaire are on it, obviously Zabitzer is different, he's coming back from an injury. But if those guys are on the bench, is that a, a, an indication that the coach isn't getting the best out of them? Yeah, and I mean... Just to, for anyone, I mean, we have very savvy listeners on OTC, so you might be aware of it, but they've won one in the last six in the league, Dortmund. Like, it's not going very well. I think this, for Eden Telsitz's position, I think it was very, very important that they gave a good account of themselves in the Champions League. But if you want to be positive about it, they have shown in a couple of games in the Champions League that they can be a bit more 
pragmatic. I mean, that was um, uh, less sexy, more successful was the was the operating phrase earlier yeah. in the autumn, and we saw that. I mean, particularly in the Newcastle game at St James's, I thought they were very clever, and uh, they've been a little bit undortman like in in that sense, but they're not. They're still not where they should be, which must be a frustration for them domestically because we're having one of those seasons where Bayern look like they maybe kind of might be a tiny bit vulnerable and then you're kind of hoping that Dortmund would be more ready to exploit that, but they don't look like they are. If, if I can be a, a, a little bit um, sort of talking as a... Uh, objective uh, football follower here. I think Group A was the more exciting of the mm. groups of death because this is a classic group of death where Bayern have run away with the league mm. and it could be any of three teams down to the wire. And Copenhagen, remarkably, would have been the least fancied of those three teams, Man United, Galatasaray and Copenhagen, to get through. And somehow they managed it. I would totally say that just as a someone who doesn't really have skin in the game here, I enjoyed the Hang game. Hang on a second, you're Scandinavian. Mm, some Scandinavian skin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed watching the games in this group a lot because there was just there was a lot of entertainment value to be had uh, from uh, Galatasaray's sort of fairly swashbuckling approach to their games, from Copenhagen being really well organised and a good sort of collective, some really good team attacking moves there. And uh, of course... With apologies to any United fans listening, I mean, I grew up in the 90s. United self-imploding is still funny to me. Like, it's just, I mean, it'll be a while. I know it's been going on for a while now. They've been, but it's still, I'm sorry, it's still funny. Uh, so so I, I, I derived a lot of enjoyment uh, from this group. And we'll get to Copenhagen, but I do you want to... You you didn't have any skin in this game. Well, <laughs> I'm not a fan of any other clubs as such, but, you know, but, but I, would, I would like to... And give a sort of moment of praise and, and appreciation for Galatasaray, not not just for you know for for the win that they got against United, but their, their general approach to to games were were fun. Like they were very you rarely see in this day and age teams that have just really no interest in controlling the match. I don't think. I mean, they, they seem to just they they seem to just send people forwards and and uh, and attack and. People have made a joke about how they're like a footballing equivalent of the Expendables. You know, there's quite a lot of like older talents. But but actually, if you go through the list, they're, they're actually they're a bit younger than they often are. You know, the typical sort of Super League mm. guy is someone who's had a career in England or Spain or Italy and just kind of at the end does a couple of years in Turkey. But actually, if you, uh, most of the Galatasaray guys are in a decent age still. And you can tell from the, the, the fairly reasonable or the good amount of running power they have in that team. And I remember seeing them in the qualification stage where they nearly got knocked out by Molde from my country. They were really poor over two legs, but they, they certainly got that together as the season came into swing and, and they put in some very enjoyable performances, I thought. I think the biggest frustration for Galatasaray, beyond the fact that they played really well in both games against Bayern and ended up with no points, and you wouldn't have expected the games that they played against Bayern to define how they did in the group but ultimately they did you know if they'd have got three points out of that or four points out of that it, it, it would have completely changed uh the topography of the the, the group but um I, th- I think given that as you say Lars that they, they want to play with a handbrake off the fact that until the very closing minutes of the game at Parkham they created next to nothing I think is an enormous credit to Jakob Nestrup and, and and Copenhagen, who I think, if you look at the group as a whole, they're authentically the second best team in the group because they're really great in both games against Bayern as well. Yeah, I yeah I really agree with that. And I, I, it was funny watching this game, Copenhagen Galatasaray, because obviously Copenhagen went down to ten men towards the end. That's when it got sweaty because uh, because you're right, they did a really good job controlling Galatasaray, I thought, and restricting them to, to not very good chances, but then they went down to 10 men right towards the end, and it got very nervy. But even then, with like a couple of minutes of extra time left, almost no time left, Copenhagen down to 10 men, you still have the sort of absurd sight of Hakim Ziyech just sort of under no pressure at all, just from 40 yards, just, I'm going to hit it here now. <laughs> just decide, like, I'm going to hit one. This is the move for me. He wasn't even like, what are you, what are you doing? Even... Like this sort of, I felt like that kind of summed up Galatasaray, this sort of combination of great adventure and ent- enterprise, but maybe a, a total absence of common sense, you know, which, which, which most, made for impre- entertaining games. But Most footballers who have played on these level would have had their hands in, or their face in their hands. What are you doing? Yeah, what have I done? <laughs> 
you did that. Any of that. You're a man up. You yeah. just you just find this. anyway. No, I, 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 this was huge for Copenhagen. Of course, it was. It's um, getting out of the champion. Of course, there's a financial aspect to it, but it's also so important. I mean, they are the sort of the the powerhouse team in the Nordic region. They're the team with the biggest budget in that part of the world. Uh, they they have been competitive in the Champions League mm-hmm. before. But but of course it's it's rare that they make it out of the group stage. Very rare, and it it, it matters an awful lot, and it, and it does kind of show that as much as the Champions League can feel like a closed shop, it is still just about possible. And the backdrop is they're not having an amazing time domestically. They're like actually currently third in the league in, in Denmark, just not too many points off. But Bonby and Michelin are giving them a good run for their money domestically. But so. Um, uh, but I think they can really be proud of what they did in the group stage. And um, and in every game of theirs, which I saw, which is not all of them, but most of them, you can see how well drilled they are, how well organized they are, how well they work together. And when they didn't win, it was often to do with like not being totally sharp in front of goal and maybe lacking a little bit in front of your own goal. And this is the challenge that I think a Danish club is always going to have. Is is just the absolute cutting edge because if you have a striker who's knocking in twenty twenty five goals a season, he's guess not, what? He's not, he's not staying in Denmark. Is he? Like he's gonna he's <laughs> gonna be off immediately. Yeah. So it's up to the coaching staff to just drill this and just find solutions collectively and try to make the team as good as it can be. And uh, I thought they just they they were magnificent. It's not enough to have the work ethic, is it? You do need the players that can finish it off. As well. One of the, I'd, I wish I knew the full story here, but one of the Danish reporters noticed before the game during the warm-up that Icardi kept leaving warm-up and running over to the stand to speak to someone, which, I mean, knowing what we know about Icardi's personal life, I mean, this is, <laughs> he had yet another ineffective performance. You see, these results do have unforeseen consequences for the Champions League next season, where there'll be four extra teams. We do know that the two um, most successful leagues Mm -hmm. will have an extra place in the Champions League. So um, whichever the two most successful leagues in the Champions League this year are, will have five places in the Champions League Mm -hmm. next season. At the moment, uh, Germany are in the... Well, in the driver's seat for an extra place. England, the Premier League, well, at the moment, it's... Yeah, not going to get a fifth place. They're not. Is it? Uh, they're not as of, as of now. I mean, this could still change. Of course, there's a lot more football to be played. I think uh, you'd expect Liverpool, for instance, to go very far in the Europa League, possibly even win it. That would help a lot. Uh, you've lost two of your teams in the Champions League in the group stage. That is definitely not an advantage. Um, and I know this is on the continent, but just to bring in this sort of slightly Anglo-centric perspective here, I did see some of the coverage last night of, of and here on the radio of Newcastle going out, and I heard n- a number of pundits say, well, they'll be delighted to not be in the Europa League. And I was like, you do realise what's going on this season with the coefficients and everything, you guys, because <laughs> it does raise the possibility of Newcastle, for instance, finishing fifth and then not getting a spot partially because they went out of everything. So anyway, it's um, it's early to tell, but definitely it's losing those two teams in the Champions League is a big blow. And paradoxically, a lot of rival fans will be have to root will have to root for Manchester City and Arsenal now going forward because they need to do something for England to have a chance at getting that spot. I mean, for what it's worth, they they never will. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think the the interesting thing here is that. Um, when the Bundesliga, particularly this season, and La Liga are in a weaker position than the Premier League, and you look at the Premier League and you think of any season where from a good of the competition or quality teams good of the competition, you could argue that, yeah, this is a season where you could do with five teams from the, the Premier League qualifying. This would be it. You know, in a, in a yeah. season where... Spurs um, and particularly Aston Villa are looking so good as me and Pete were saying on Ramble Reacts last last night, you know, which really puts that squeeze on the on the top four as you were saying, Lars. And yet, you know, Dortmund, for example, are in fifth place and four points off the top four at the moment, and they could t- talking of doing something in the Champions League that could benefit you going forward. I, I would still expect them to be able to make that that place up. So the top two on this season's performance is Germany still leading the way and Italy after this week's games in, in second at the moment. Then you look at Serie A and currently in fifth are Bologna. That would be interesting. Yeah, let's not stop the count. Let's not stop the count. Hold up. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Girona, who are they? I hear you ask. Well, they are currently experiencing something of a fairy tale in La Liga. They have done the most extraordinary thing for the first time in their nearly 100 year history. They've beaten the mighty Barcelona away from home and they've celebrated it as almost as if they've won the World Cup, Andy. Well, I, I think. If you've got to enjoy the moment. There's no doubt about that. And mm. now they're over the 40-point mark as well. They're kind of playing with house money, aren't they? You know, Staying I've, 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 up. Staying <laughs> exactly. You've got to celebrate that first. But I think it wasn't so much the fact that they won at Barcelona on Sunday, which was a great achievement in itself, of course, especially um, with their history of like one of the smaller clubs of, of, of the region, particularly in, in comparison to, to Barcelona and even Espanyol. It's the fact that the the manner in which they did it, you know, they're, they're top of La Liga, which is extraordinary in itself after 16 games. They've only dropped, what, seven points so far, which again, after 16 games is remarkable. They're the top scorers in La Liga. And mm. if you'd missed the rest of this La Liga season and you needed some sort of potted, who are you? What have you done? Let's have your show reel. This would have been it. You know, they, they were brilliant. Although it was a full manifestation of how exciting this team is under, under Mitchell. Because if you think for a, a lot of this season, um, the fact that um, Artem Dobrik, who's, who's, who's been great since he, he, he came over from Ukrainian Premier League and has, has led the line really well, has, has scored goals. Um, and Viktor Sigankov, the, the other Ukrainian on the, on the, on the right-hand side, has been great. I mean, we'll talk about the City connection and sort of players that offers them in, it, in a little mm. bit. But but really, the wing-backs were outstanding in this. So Miguel, who came through, who scored the second goal and could have had a couple more, and who came through uh, La Fabrica, the, the Real Madrid Academy, he was fantastic. Jan Kuto, someone who does belong to Manchester City, the Brazilian on the, on, on the right-hand side, he, he was great as, as well. And I don't know, I've, we've had this feeling throughout the season, the idea that Barcelona are getting gently better. And even that at moments, it might not be totally boring football all the way under under Xavi because you have, I mean, Lamal and because you have Joao Felix, who's, who's shown some moments of promise throughout mm. this season. But then this team, who are meant to be cowed in these big moments, just turn up. And I think it makes a difference, by the way, going to Montjuic and not going to Camp Nou. Yeah, for sure. They, they, they turn up and they're like, right, this is what we're about and we're not going anywhere in a hurry. You see, Andy mentioned in passing the City connection. And that, and we talk about the City football group connection with Girona. Mm. Does that take away the fairy tale aspect of what they've achieved. So I, I think this is one of those areas where your sort of ideology might be maybe clashes a little bit with the sort of short term realities of the situation. I think if you ask like an average Girona match day fan, 
probably don't care right now. <laughs> They're watching a team play pretty incredible football. They're, they're top of La Liga, you know, happy days. I, I, I believe quite strongly at a purely sort of ideological stance that uh, these multi-club ownership groups should not be allowed. I think it's very simple. You shouldn't be allowed to own more than one football club. Uh, I, I think it erodes the identity of those clubs. I mean, they, they are effectively one of Manchester City's reserve teams, if you think about it that way. I mean, they're owned by a different club, effectively. Um, I don't think anyone really buys the pretense that this is a, any kind of group of equals. You know, this is Manchester City having a number of sort of effectively feeder clubs here and there. And um, I, I think it's distasteful. I think it's wrong. I think it's not what a football club should be. Uh, but I wouldn't currently go to a, a Girona home game and try to explain it to them. Yeah, it, you've still got to win your games, though, don't you, Andy? Mm. And that's where, if if there is a fairy tale in this, that's where you ask, how how did the fairy tale develop? How have they got to be top of La Liga, even with financial backing? Those things don't come overnight. Yeah, and it's it's, it's great coaching from... Uh, Michel, I, I don't think you can get away from that. And this is a coach who um, had his moments, particularly in um, the second of his two previous senior jobs. He was at Real and he was at Wesker before. But he got sacked from both of them. You know, th- this mm. is no one's idea of like a, an elite level coach. He's a, a relative journeyman um, in, in his late 40s. So what he's been able to do is, is, has been fantastic. The, the, the bravery he's instilled in this team is, 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 is fantastic. And going back to the City link and in terms of the, the, the resources, um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are the, the, the City flags. We talked about Jan Kuto, um, Savio, who's been really, really good on, on, on the left-hand side, played a slightly different role in this, this Barcelona game. Um, he belongs to Trois, who are also in the, the, the city group. They're like the French branch of it. Um, but on, on the other hand, what Lars was saying before about them being definitely not the priority of the city group is, is, is absolutely right. So, you know, they had Yangel Herrera, who's, who's, who's their best midfielder, who was, was a city um, player for a, for a long time without ever, ever playing for them. Uh, he... He was out injured for this, and he's, he's their best midfielder. And the fact is, they don't have infinite resources. They still have very small resources compared to Barcelona or Real Madrid or Atletico, even though those teams have had to tighten the belt in, in, in recent years. So it's not a fair fight. So I, I wonder if we're slightly going down the wrong road with fairy tale, really. I mean, can mm. we even expect mm. a fairy tale in modern football? As Lars was saying, how the game has changed. I don't think we can, really. You know, this is something, the multi-club model is something that is endemic in, in, in modern football. So can we expect a fairy tale? No. But can we expect something that's more like sport than just an entertainment product? And that's what this is. Because this is something of worth being created on a sporting level, on a purely sporting level. And it's something that's adding to the competition and adding to the excitement. So if you're asking, is it a fairy tale? Well, no, maybe not in, in, the, in the purest sense of it. But is it a surprise? And therefore, is it adding to the worth of La Liga? Definitely, definitely. Well, and it, the it, way it, they're doing it, it definitely is. It, it reminds me of, you know, the quote unquote fairy tale of Napoli last season and because not only are Girona top of the league they're also uh, top of the league of scoring in yeah. La Liga at the moment who's been banging them in for them well they've, they've been getting goals from everywhere so as, as I said um, Artem Dovbik has, has, has scored his, his share of goals um, in this team um, and to, to me that's, that's 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 pretty amazing because you look at the fact that um, he was he, he was far and away top scorer in the Ukrainian Premier League for Dnipro one last season, but the the standard's not amazing at the moment. So you've been getting goals from him. Um, you've had Arera Savio, as, as as we mentioned, chipping in. You had a couple of really important goals last week to to win the game from Christian Stuani. Of course, mm. you may remember from not particularly succeeding at Middlesbrough. And mm-hmm. since he's been at Girona, we can't stop him scoring goals. He's thirty seven now. And he's still got the knack, which is which is pretty incredible. But I think the collective strength of it is um, something that's really important. And it's, you know, something that I think you, you look at La Liga and you think, you look at Barcelona and it's always been about 
collective strength. You know, Messi was so incredible because he was the ultimate individual putting himself at the service of the collective. So you could argue it's Catalan tradition in a way. I love this quote from the Girona manager. It's not our target to win La Liga and I don't want to compare our team to anyone, but we play really, really well. Well, I'll compare him to Unai Emery. That's the kind of quote you get from the Aston Villa manager uh, nowadays. But how, how do you put a lid on the success that you're having and try and get your players uh, unexpectedly to um, act as if this wasn't unexpected, but, you know, <laughs> to keep within their their you know experience well, but the danger of success is always that you stop doing the things that's made you successful right i mean they've gone into the season with one set of targets and parameters in mind thinking this is what we're going to fight for and suddenly they're near the top of the league and it must be very hard not to be affected by that but the point is that the mentality they had going into it is what's brought them to the level they're at now it would be like if they were to do it it would be more leicester than leicester you know there's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it when you look at the financial disparities at play uh, but having said that, if they were to make top six, if they were to qualify for Europe, even after all this, it might seem anticlimactic to us from a, a distance, but it would still be an incredible achievement given how they started the season and the, the means they started the season with. Remains interesting to see if they'd be allowed to play in the Champions League if they qualified for it, given that they're very clearly owned by the same people who own Man City. Yeah, but I think if you look at like previous examples of that with um, Salzburg and Leipzig, with Toulouse and Milan at the start of this season, mm. um, there's there's always that sort of uncoupling, isn't there? There are ways. Or just really a lack of uh, any will to take it seriously from the authorities' side of things. <laughs> just, uh, we don't care. It's fine. Whatever. I suppose the most shocking uh, European story of the week comes from Turkey. Very sad story, I think. And people know what I'm talking about because the video has gone viral. And that is of the Ankaguji president uh, punching the referee at the end of a one-all draw with Rizspor. Um Andy, you're our expert on Turkish football, and a lot of us won't know what's going on here. How did Turkish football get to this point? I think over a long period um, of a a culture of heaping a lot of blame on referees um, going going unchecked. So uh, Farouk Koja, the the, the president of Ankara Guju, well, I should say former president of Ankara Guju because um, uh, following the the criminal charges against him, um, him being arrested, he has resigned from his post and uh, apologised for this. Um, But an apology just won't cut it, really. Uh, You know, he he came onto the the pitch... um, hit the referee at the end of this game against Rizespor. And as you said, when we were talking about it before, Dotton, I think the most disturbing element of it is how it kind of provoked this mini pitch invasion by Ankara fans and, you know, a, a pylon, which could have been loads worse. Now, the, the referee's um, recovering, it seems, which is is good. Um, he's had the support of all of football, of um, President Erdogan, but... Um, I, I think it would be intellectually dishonest of Turkish football to say that they haven't seen this coming, really, because um, it's a climate where you have um, the, the, the biggest clubs compiling a list of grievances against referees and then complaining about them through their official channels. If we go backwards... Um, to the season before last, um, you had Fenerbahce complaining about being sport, the the broadcaster like the equivalent of Sky over over, over there, and um, saying that they'd incorrectly drawn the offside lines for VAR. It's not them who draws the lines, by the way. Um, and all this stuff coming out of official mouthpieces, coming out of the clubs themselves, or coming out of channels that are endorsed by the clubs themselves it's just what other atmosphere is it is it is it going to create and i think when you're talking about this the standard of of refereeing and this this is something that's it's not just applicable to turkey is it Lars? it's a, a, applicable to lots of other footballing countries mm-hmm. in, in in europe how is this possibly gonna 
improve the standard of refereeing? Because ultimately, is anyone going to want to do it? No, it very obviously makes the standard of refereeing worse. And I think it's actually the thing that annoys me the most about referee discourse and the way it's developing in, in a number of countries is that the people who whinge, the clubs, the managers who whinge constantly, they try to cloak it in some sort of sanctimonious garbage about wanting to raise the standards, which is total nonsense. And you know it's nonsense because if that's what they wanted, they would have also complained about decisions that go in their favor, which somehow mm. they never do, mm. right? So it is just garbage. It's people who want to deflect blame from their own shortcomings. It's people who want to let off steam when they're frustrated about something. And you create a, an atmosphere of hostility, of distrust, of suspicion, which can only make the job dif more difficult for referees and it makes it less attractive to want to become a referee, all of which will get you worse referees. Like, it, it, it's incredibly damaging. And, of, of course, you, you see uh, in, in Turkey what the sort of end, hopefully the end result of this can be, hopefully you doesn't doesn't ever go further than that, but... We know from bitter experience, various places in the world, that sort of hatred online and hatred in the media doesn't stay online, doesn't stay in the media. It has real-world consequences. And I, I really think people need to check themselves a little bit. I get, you know, fans are always going to be very passionate, but I think those of us who work in the media have a particular responsibility to not fire up the mob, so to speak, and not to try to cash in on sort of cheap likes and retweets by having to go at referees. Because it's the easiest thing in the world to do but it is actually quite damaging and it doesn't achieve anything and it's irresponsible, frankly, and people should know better. To be fair, though, Andy, the Super League uh, did respond very quickly uh, to this violence and mm. suspended the entire league uh, until further notice. I don't know what the purpose of suspending the entire league was. Do you understand the thinking behind that? Yeah, I think I do. And I, I think you look at the same... Well, the last time this happened in the Turkish Super League was when um, uh, there was there was a, a violent attack on the Fenerbahce bus when it was on the way home from, from Rizespor, actually, um, going back a few years, um, in which you know players could have been harmed, the driver could have been killed. Um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty awful. And I guess, like, if you equate this with what's happened with um, crowd violence in the Greek Super League at the moment, where the league has, has, has been suspended as well, there has to be a point where you say enough is enough. And I think mm. even if you think that the authorities have not been firm enough in this in the past, it's got to start somewhere. And there has to be, I think, some sort of electroshock moment before we get to like a, um, a, a like thoughtful, considered set of measures which can actually improve conditions for referee and and make the football better. Because frankly, you look at the amounts being spent in the transfer market and the, the contracts being handed out by Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Bajiktas. The fact is, if stuff like this happens, the league becomes a meme. It becomes a joke. And, and that really diminishes the value of a league. A, a league which has taken a massive hit in terms of TV rights over the last year or two anyway. So I think for those leagues not to become pariahs, Turkey and, and, and Greece in particular, because they're the ones we're talking about at the moment, there has to be this moment where they say, right, enough is enough. Football can't go on. In, in this environment. And that is the first step, I think, to doing something about it. I, I totally get that. But what ultimately will be the consequences, do you think? In the long term, there has to be some sort of strategy. In, in terms of, like, you know, is, is stopping the league the strategy? No, stopping the league is, is not the strategy. It should be the start of the strategy. A start of changing the culture. A shock that says, like, football can't, go on like this. And I think people will be out there, media people, fans will be thinking, hang on, like in 10 days time on, on, on Christmas Eve, it's meant to be the intercontinental derby between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. We need to get our football back on track. And to get the football back on track, you have to make genuine headway with these issues. So that that is the point. Not just saying, um, right, we're going to um, bring a banner out before the game that says, um, respect for referees or something like that. There has to, there has to be. Well, for a start, there has to be really severe punishments 
for Ankara Gushu, you have to say, you know, uh, that, that they, they have to be really punished for this because it's just, it's just unacceptable, not just from Codger's behavior, but in terms of security, you know, the referees have to be safe to do their, their jobs. So not just in terms of respect for referees, which will be a gradual process, but in terms of the actual conditions of security that they're offered as well, they, they need to be safe at work. Let's end this uh, OTC on a positive note because it is the season, after all, of uh, a lot of football. So we would like <laughs> you. <That's> to... a... <laughs> it is, tis, tis. That's, um, that's in all my time. Christmas cards. Tis, tis the season of, <laughs> of a lot of football. A lot of football, and uh, we would like you to recommend just Should one. Should be writing thing. the Sky adverts. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I am. <laughs> um, but we only ask you to recommend one of the. Tis the feasts. season of oh, a lot it? of football <laughs> and hella goals. <laughs> I didn't realise that it would live forever, that statement. I'm happy Iconic. for it too. Yeah, indeed. Um, we only ask you to recommend one uh, match for us to watch this weekend, if you can, a game of the week. And also, we need the food to go with it as well. Um, I know you're all sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, you're all sorted mm-hmm. for a change, Lars, yep. in this respect. But I'm, going to, I'm going to Andy first. For a change. Yeah, an internal Someone change. reminded me before Inter- we began exactly. this recording. Exactly. Mm. But Andy... Uh, Top work by our producer today. <laughs> he's, he's on form, this last yeah, no. But Andy, what would your game of the season recommendation be? Well, my... of, of the week, of the season. Game of the season? Well, yeah, it might be. That's a, that's a lot of, of pressure. Put, put a pressure <laughs> indeed, on Andy here now. Indeed. Um, I, well, you know, you know what? That if I was going to uh, go game of the season, I would pick two to hedge my bets. There are two really good ones in Portugal this, this weekend. So you have Sunday night, you have the top four playing each other. So Sunday night, you have Braga versus Benfica at Braga. And Monday night, which I think is going to be the one, is going to be Sporting versus Porto, the top two the Avalad in Lisbon. And I think with the results that kind of shook it all up last weekend, you've got uh, one point between the top three at the moment after uh, Sporting lost a, a, a Guimarães 3-2 in what was an absolute ding-dong. So um, the Classicos are always great. Um, I really like Sporting this season. But Porto, under Sergio Conceição, of course, just got through to the last 16 in the Champions League, the only Portuguese club that did. Um, they, even when you look at the team sheet and you think, yeah, that's not one of the best Porto teams I've ever seen. What Conceição has continued to do in terms of getting something out of a, a limited budget, because, of course, they've had FFP problems the whole time that he's been in charge, really. It's, it's remarkable. And... You look at the way they got after Shakhtar. You know, they're such a, a hungry team. It doesn't matter what eleven they put out. They're, they're, they're like animals fed on raw meat. And it's it's, it's amazing to see. It's very un-Portuguese, really. Now, they usually the top... cook their meat. <laughs> yeah, too We're much, to some would say. We're but coming I, to that. <laughs> I, think, I think if you look at the top part of the league, we always talk about the Premier League being a coaches league. The coaches that you've got at the top of the at the top of the the, the Portuguese Liga at the moment are, are brilliant. And I, I think that makes a massive difference. And that can sometimes go towards some of the, the, the counteracting some of the lack of resource that there is. In terms of food, I really fancy um, a bitoca de casa this weekend. So, you know, th- there's only one thing that can make a steak better. Well, obviously not overcooking it, mm-hmm. but stick, sticking a fried egg on the top, I think that makes a massive difference. Yeah. But if you're going to watch both of these games... I think make a massive load of back of the hour brash, which is my favourite cod recipe of the several hundred that exist in Portugal. Because you can make a shitload and then eat some on the Sunday night and then have some warmed up for the Monday. We're eating it raw. Yeah, like culturally, <laughs> the, culturally, the roles have been reversed here a little bit. But as Andy recommending a shitload of fish, that dude, I mean, I feel like the, the Scandinavian in the room well, should be it, sort of yeah, sorry, yeah, I'll bring it on. Particularly Norwegians, uh-huh. and they like their raw fish. Trust me. Um, yeah, but let's talk about the game first of all. Okay. We well, well listen, it's it's a tough one because there are two really. I mean, just watch the Bundesliga Sunday afternoon, guys, because you've got. Leverkusen Frankfurt first, which after Frankfurt, you know, after what they did to Bayern last weekend, coming up against league leaders Leverkusen, that's going to be one to watch. But then I'm going to hone in on Bayern versus Stuttgart, 
that is a huge game for them now. Mm. Stuttgart continuing to be a surprise package in, in this league. Um, their game against uh, Leverkusen was fascinating last weekend. And Bayern, look, I mean, in terms of points, they've picked up enough. And Thomas Tuchel, I think, is is a bit tetchy. I don't think he enjoys the criticism he's, he's receiving. There's, you know, it's not been a disastrous start. I mean, 10 wins, 2 draws, and 1 defeat in 13 is not bad. But they do look a little bit vulnerable. They do look a bit a bit fallible. They're too, there were a lot of weird individual mistakes against Frankfurt. You know, both fullbacks being substituted at halftime. That's a weird thing to see. So you do sense that Bayern are not quite Bayern at the moment. And Stuttgart obviously surprising um, a lot of people uh, this uh, this season. Uh, maybe they could do something, and it, it could be an exciting game. And uh, for food, I mean, this is very... So what day was that? That's on Sunday. On Sunday. Um, for food, this is, of course, very, very hostile towards my, my, uh, my diet, but it's winter, so it was, let's have a, a warming a bit of, of Kessa Spätzle. Um, Spätzle, I'm a huge fan of Spätzle, unfortunately, which is a kind of a, a soft... It's he described as egg noodle, but I feel like that gives the wrong idea. It's basically a Central European mac and cheese type of thing, like very soft... Uh, very extremely filling, sort of noodly type stuff, uh, with a very creamy, cheesy sauce. Typically, this is incredibly bad for you, but it will keep you going uh, during the cold winter months. <laughs> I won't ask how the diet's going because I can see it's there's only pretty half well, of you. Pretty well, my friend. It's only pretty half well, of you. yeah. I know. Uh, thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.